Continued U.S. leadership in nearly every area of science and technology will depend on a sound system of computing resources. That's why the Office of Science and Technology Policy has completed an update of the National Strategic Computing Initiative. It's time, given the advent of new and disruptive technologies. Here with what is new, the OSTP's Assistant Director for Quantum Science and co-chair of the committee that worked the update, Dr. Jake Taylor. Dr. Taylor, good to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. This new report of the update of the National Strategic Computing Initiative, place it for us in the pantheon of so many activities going on with respect to supercomputing and other technology initiatives directed either by federal agencies or by the White House. As you may be aware, the U.S. has been leading in high-performance computing, supercomputing, and related topics for many, many years. But starting back in 2015, we were looking at, hey, in supercomputing, where are we? And we realized that we had to take a more strategic approach and it deeper investment into the future of computing. So that was the genesis of the National Strategic Computing Initiative back in 2015. And from there, we've had some tremendous successes in expanding the very front end of computing. But the landscape has been changing. It doesn't take a lot of time to surf the news and start to say, hey, graphics processing units, GPUs, those are showing up in supercomputers. Various large tech companies are now using special purpose hardware to do really important tasks. What's the future of supercomputing in this new landscape? So this administration realized how important it was to come back to the question, how do we take our strategic approach and what actions do we need to take to maintain the United States leadership in this space? And so we convened this fast-track action committee at the beginning of the summer, really, to gather all the agencies and external stakeholders and to build the basis for the next generation of the future of computing effort for the nation. And you're not simply talking about supercomputing, although that's part of it, because I think the report, the new report mentions edge computing and non-digital computing. So you're really looking at the whole, I guess, ecosystem from maybe handheld devices and Internet of Things all the way back to the giant supercomputers. Is that a correct way to well, characterize that's, it? That's a good way to characterize it. I think we all experience in our daily lives various aspects of high-performance computing because we have information on our phones or on our person or that we intersect with where we want some information processed about that and brought back to us quickly. So if you think about high-performance computing, a lot of it's really driven by the applications. And those applications back in, say, the 1950s were primarily scientific and defense-oriented. But today, there's a lot of consumer applications. So the spectrum and sort of different approaches for very fast compute has changed, has expanded. And so when you look at what it means to be doing high-performance computing, it's become more varied. Yeah, so high-performance could also include the performance of, say, the network between, and it could be the wireless network, between a IoT device and a cloud, for example. Yes, yes. And, and this, of course, connects in strategic computing to the other aspects of this administration's policies around what we call industries of the future, where we have pervasive wireless, which includes 5G. We have deep advances for artificial intelligence and machine learning. We also have a big investment in quantum information science, which is in some sense the very future end of what we can do in computation. Yes, in fact, you are the director of quantum science at the OSTP, and I think one of the big tech companies claimed, and it was challenged quite a bit, that they had achieved some level of quantum computing using qubit, 34-bit types of processors, whatever that is. Briefly describe where quantum computing really is in relation to some envisioned future for it. Oh, yeah. So there's been some great technical and non-technical work 
describing where things are going in the world of quantum computing. But what you should understand is that quantum computers are not going to replace classical computers. They do certain tasks really well. Most of those tasks involve quantum mechanics problems. And that sounds very esoteric here, uh, you know, talking on the radio, but quantum mechanics problems is chemistry. It's biology. It is materials. And these things really do matter for us. That the challenge is building a sufficiently large and controlled system to be able to realize those types of computations. So, for example, this last year, we saw the advent of the first sets of computations where as you made the system just a little bit larger, the classical computing cost was growing exponentially to the point that even the best supercomputer in the world, which is now the top two are in the United States. This is, of course, the success of the last few years on our focus on strategic computing. But even those computers can't, can barely do it or not do it at all. All right. And by the way, something mentioned that caught my eye in the report is non-digital computation. Is that what you're talking about? Well, that's an example of non-digital computation. But actually, you were seeing much closer to the ground non-digital computation. And part of that has to do with the fact that many applications in high-performance systems no longer require the precision that digital provides. You see that a lot in machine learning systems where there's a lot of approximate calculation. You also see it, for example, in computer games where you're computing graphics that are meant for the human eye, and the human eye is not perfect, right? So there's a lot of different tricks that you might play in order to more quickly represent what you want the eye to see. So as the applications become more error-resistant or tolerant of the types of errors digital prevents, there can be new computing approaches which take more of their time doing work in the analog space before converting to or from digital. I don't know exactly where that's going to go. It's a very open area of research. But it includes everything from DNA-type computing to normorphic computing and beyond. We're speaking with Dr. Jake Taylor. He is the Assistant Director for Quantum Science at the Office of Science and Technology Policy. And the implication in all of this is that programming is going to change, or it sounds like it's going to change. So what are some of the programming challenges, and what are some of the human capital challenges related to programming, since I think people still do most of the programming? That's a great question. I think it's important to realize that Software is the language that connects us to our computers, and programming is, is the access to that language. As the system's complexity increases, we have to rely on programming and the language of programming more and more to be able to take advantage of those systems. At the end of the day, we build computers so that humans can use them. And the improvements we need to make in the software space and in the programming space are front and center in our strategic computing update. I do encourage people who are bored to take a look, uh, but really this came up time and again in our, in our engagements with stakeholders where we came up and we said, hey, large tech companies, academic teams, what is it, and government users, what is it that you're looking for? And they all came back saying, we need better software investments, we need better programming tools in order to take advantage of what the technology, the hardware can do. This does speak to the other challenge, though, which is that there's many communities that work in high-performance and high-end computing, but they're not all rewarded equally, and they're not all as easy to recruit into the problem space. And so in the workforce space, we need to do a better job of engaging a broader diversity of people in order to make the progress, not just in the next transistor or the next integrated supercomputer, but in the software that connects us all and in the applications that make it worth our time and make it beneficial for the citizen here in the United States. And who knows, maybe the IRS will get off the assembly language in our lifetimes. But now that we have this blueprint, uh, this updated blueprint on the Strategic Computing Initiative, 
what has to happen? Who are the stakeholders that can build this future? And what do they need to do next? It's very clear that the path forward here is a partnership pathway. It's not just the federal government going forward. It's not just large tech companies. It is the entire innovation ecosystem around the future of computing working together. Part of that has already been started through our engagements, through community of interest meetings that we hosted over the summer, through uh, meetings we've had, for example, at Supercomputing 2019 last month. And part of it is a deeper federal engagement through ongoing coordination works that OSTP does. So at the Office of Science and Technology Policy, one of our main tasks is to coordinate interagency research and development and actions across science and technology. And so we're taking that action space very seriously for this. Is it safe to say that this document will be updated again? Well, this, is, this document is published, but if you look at what we need to do in strategic computing, it's, we need to come back on a regular basis and reassess where we are and where we're going. And we're doing this just here a little bit earlier than our initial plan. Uh, the plan was initially in 2020 that we would do this type of update, but you know the landscape changed more rapidly. And so we adapted. And I think if you look to the future, I can't predict the future, but I can tell you that computing is going to change. And so what the nation does in the space is also going to continue to adapt to those changes. Dr. Jake Taylor is the Assistant Director for Quantum Science at the Office of Science and Technology Policy. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Tom. Have a great day. We'll post this interview along with a link to the strategy at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and... Well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. It's in our nature.